Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If everyone always won, we would never learn shit. We wouldn't learn anything. You've got to fail. You know, that's what builds character and you, you find ways to then overcome that and push through that. That is two-time world champion track cyclist Shane Perkins. And this is episode 232 of the Oshingensberg Podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Another show, another week. It's you and me. We're together. You're doing things. Whatever you're doing, we're doing it together, and that makes me very happy. This episode is with Olympic medalist, Commonwealth Games champion, two-time world champion, track cyclist, Shane Perkins. You can find him on Twitter at P-E-R-K-O Perkins. Perko Perkins. More about Shane in just a moment. If you're new to the show, hi, welcome. Good to have you here. I'm Osher. Sometimes I count roses and deliver date cards on the television. Uh, Every Monday, though, for the last four and a bit years, I've been here having a conversation that you get to be a part of with someone that you may know or someone you may not know. But each week, I guarantee you'll hear something that'll resonate, something that'll make you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That might. That's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. Something that'll hopefully make today a little better than yesterday. And you can take that to the bank. Well, maybe not a bank, considering the Royal Commission shit that's going on at the moment. You know, a nice bank. And, uh, you know, not an Australian bank. If you're listening to this in five years, you you know, you'd be like, what, Roses? What bank? What Royal Commission? Anyway, (laughs) five years ago, some shit went down. Anyway, thank you very much to everybody that reached out through the week. 
so lovely to hear from you. I'm grateful to, uh, you know, talking with people on Instagram about my coffee, talking with people on the email. It's great. I love it when you send me a photo of what you're doing when you're listening. That's my favorite. Uh, send Osher email at gmail.com. Alicia sent a great pic. Cindy sent a great pic. Sarah sent a great pic. So many great photos coming in this week. Uh, I got a brilliant photograph. I didn't want to talk about this. I got a brilliant photograph uh, from a woman by the name of Megan who's currently traveling through Iran. Iran. Uh, and she was listening to the show that I did with Brett Robbo a few weeks back. It blows my mind. We got to go to Iran. So good. Eastky Britain, who's been on the show, she's taught surfing in Iran. So it was nice to, I guess, what's nice to have another connection there. But I emailed Megan and I asked her, you know, what's it like there? What are you doing? And she wrote back. And I liked her email so much. Um, I asked her if it's okay to share this. She said it is. Uh, so this is what she wrote back about what it's like traveling through Iran. She said, Iran has been incredible. Everyone at home could not believe we were coming here, as it has such a negative image in the media, but we have seen such a different side of things. People are so friendly. They really take the time to ask us about Australia. In fact, they get quite excited when we say we're from Australia. Before coming here, I thought I would not see women mixing with men, but it has been no different to home. It is common to see young people in cafes clearly on a date. Walking down the street, obviously people know we're not local and they give friendly smiles and they say hello. They seem very kind here. We visited a mosque one day and a man who was visiting with his family was handing out lollies to everyone. He insisted we take more than one. He was so generous. We've seen some wonderful sights as well, but I have to say the generosity and kindness I have encountered and the sense of gratitude here has left the biggest impression on me. Iran clearly has less than we do in regards to material items but they seem to have so much more time for each other and wealth in other ways. How's that? How great is that? You know, I'm sure, you know, every country has its challenges. We have our challenges in Australia. Iran has its challenges. But how great is that? It just goes to show that in this world of bite-sized news, in this world of instant judgment, it's really only through going and looking with your own eyes that you can understand what's really going on. What blows my mind the most about that, that email from Megan is that if you reverse the roles with a very obviously Iranian person walking down the street in Australia or someone who's obviously very obviously not local, would they be treated the same way? That's a question, isn't it? Maybe it might linger in your mind, that question, the next time you or someone you know is down the shops. Maybe you see someone in a headscarf, you know? Try to imagine that. What Megan's experienced is that in Iran, you'd be welcomed. You'd be offered lollies at a mosque. You'd be asked about where you live. That's fascinating, they would say. Would that happen here? You can make it happen here. It's really that simple. Emails like the one I got from Megan absolutely make my day, and I'm really grateful that I get a chance to share them with you. So if you would like to email me, I write back to everybody. Send us your email at gmail.com is my address. I do love the pictures that you send. Just tag it, hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E, a podsy. It's like a selfie, but it's like a photo you take with the camera you're listening to this on the phone you're listening to this on. You know what I'm saying. Um, I did want to check in with you this week to check in. Oh, look, I, ha I, I hit a killer milestone this week. A killer milestone. If you go back a couple of weeks, you listen, I don't know, 
third week of Feb, fourth week of Feb, I started um, talking about writing every morning as routine, as a way to clear my brain, at least 20 minutes every morning. And yesterday morning, on a whim, I flicked back a couple of weeks and checked what I wrote in those early days to see if I could get a read on any progress that I've made. So I went back to the date and, you know, the, the podcast you'll listen to is a couple of days either side of this, February 17th to be exact. I woke up, and those of you who know what it's like will know what this is like. I work at with paralyzing anxiety, all right? Uh, unable to move. I didn't realize it, but I was utterly stuck in a freeze response. We have certain responses to anxiety. I'm sure you've heard of these, fight, flight, or freeze. And I was frozen, frozen in many, many ways, paralyzed as if I couldn't move beyond these things, the, the, the weight of these fears just preventing me from taking any action at all about the things I was afraid of. It was horrible. And so that morning I was like, well, fuck this. So I wrote it all down because that day, you know, I, I, I wrote down everything that was just – I wrote down 23 things. I wrote down 23 things that were just crushing me, holding my throat, standing on my chest. And anyone that's had anxiety knows that it's not just thoughts. They're real physical sensations that accompany the thoughts. It's, it's not all in your head. It actually hurts your body. You feel the sensation in your body. It's weird feeling as if someone's holding you but no one's there. It's really strange. So I wrote down I wrote down 23 things that day that were boulders that I was chained to, stuck at the bottom of the ocean, unable to breathe. And also around that time, I was doing a, a, a fair bit of work of like, I can't live like this. I've got to do something else. So I, I was doing a lot of work in, um, I guess, the action that I took around that was to focus on the fact that, that courage is fear in motion. And to feel the fear and do it anyway, like the book says, all right? So slowly, slowly, I started to move. Not step by step, but hip, knee, ankle, foot, transfer weight. Heel, toe, ankle, knee, hip. Tiny movements, micro movements, but movements in a distinct direction. It was scary, but I just kept moving. And yesterday... I didn't realize this until yesterday. I looked back at those fears eight and a bit weeks later. My list of 23 things that terrified me, well, among that list, there was 11 of them that were tasks that I had no ability to move on that day. They were just festering. They were getting worse with every minute, every hour that I didn't tackle them. Every time I thought about, I've got to do this thing. Oh, but I'm afraid to do this thing. Then this thing gets bigger and scarier. Every time, and there was 11 of them. Big stuff like finance things, family things, work things. You have the same things. The more I avoided them, the bigger and more scary they were getting. The other 12 were kind of existential what-if things that were preventing me from taking action or they were, they, were, they were worrying me about the possibility of occurring so much that I couldn't enjoy what was happening in front of me. I was so worried about these existential things, like you know, stuff around my hips and stuff like that. So I couldn't enjoy it. Hey, I'm here walking the dog. Dog's happy, you know. So yesterday over a cup of coffee, I looked back at that list. Of the 11 tasks that I was afraid of, all of them, in fact, I was so convinced that they would end in disaster even if I tried to action them. All 11 of them are now done with positive to incredibly positive outcomes. And the other 12 things, I look at every one of them and I realize that if they do end up happening, I'll find a way to deal with each and every one of them. 
I looked at that list. I showed my wife Audrey. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It's like stepping on a scale and then suddenly going, shit, I've lost 11 kilos. I had no idea. It absolutely blew my mind. All I did was just keep moving every day, accepting that the fear would be there as I moved, but also accepting that I, and with the support of others, we had the capacity to deal with whatever would arise. It was an incredible incredible moment. I equate it to unexpected weight loss because that's honestly what it felt like. Like, holy shit, all I did was eat less, go to the gym every day, and now look, I'm a couple of kilos down, two kilos down from a month ago. That's awesome. The moment that happened yesterday morning gave me such a boost because clear as day, in my own handwriting, all angular and frightened, in my own handwriting, I can see how far I've come in such a short amount of time. And it's just through the stuff I've been describing to you every week here. You know exactly what I've been doing. I haven't hidden anything from you. This is exactly what I've been doing. I realize I'm a sample size of one, and I'm a 44-year-old man, and I I, I have an extraordinarily grateful, lucky job, and my life is very different from many people, but, but goodness me, I'd urge you to give it a try. 20 minutes of writing every day, eating more mindfully with the view that what I eat will affect how I feel, and trying to get my heart rate up. You know, I mean, I'm doing a lot at the moment. I'm doing at least an hour, if I can, every day. I have probably one or two days off a week, but at least an hour, sometimes way more, every day. But I guess on top of that, it's also accepting that, you know, and this is through the interesting, uh, what a book I read? Emotional Agility, that's a book I read. Really fascinating concept in there that you, you can't have confidence and joy without also having fear and sadness, accepting that the price of confidence and joy is that there will also be fear and sadness in your life. The converse of those things is the price you pay for experiencing the, the, the positive things, that the, the, the price of experiencing the positive emotions is that we also experience uncomfortable, emotion, uncomfortable emotions, but realizing that neither of them last, realizing that those emotions are just feelings in the body, they're not facts, and they're not the totality of our lives. Yes, there is actually a person in my life right now that I am struggling with. It makes my tummy hurt. It makes my throat tight. But that person isn't the only person in my life. There's 10 times more people in my life that don't make me feel like that. 100 times more people in there. I can ha- I'm good with 100 to 1. I'm good with that ratio. And I just have to remember that that's, you know, okay, one out of the 100 times I'm going to have this uncomfortable feeling there, but that's not everybody I know, and that's not how everybody I know makes me feel. Okay, so in this moment with this person that's making me uncomfortable or we're having an uncomfortable moment together, take a breath and go, oh, yeah, there's other people in my life that don't make me feel this way. Okay, so this is just this moment. Does that make sense? I'm a bit rambly today. I've been making good coffee lately with the help of a lot of people on Instagram. But, yeah, if, uh, if that resonates with you, I hope it does. Oh. I hope, if not, if you're not, you just go like, fuck, fast forward, get to the part where Pergo talks about cycling. That's fine. I don't mind that either. But if, if there's something that you can work with, or let me know what works for you. I, I'd love to know. I'm all ears right now. Uh, send us your email at gmail.com is my email address. I do want to say a very, very big thank you, though, to everybody that uh, recommended this show to a friend or someone they work with or 
anyone that posted up about this show, about listening, uh, it's in telling people that you care about that this show exists or a particular episode exists. That it's in that that is an incredible help to us making the best show we can make here. Rating and reviewing the show on iTunes is a massive help. If that those things are like if you if this show brings you value, please, please do that for us. It would be amazing. If you'd like to help out in a more material way. That would be awesome. Um, podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. And uh, I do need to pay Andy and Haley, who produce this show with me. Patreon.com slash Osher, P A T R E O N.com slash Osher. Um, that's, you know, if this show does bring you value, please consider a value exchange of some description. Give me a one time thing, give me an ongoing thing. Don't give me anything at all. Just recommend it to someone. Whatever it is that you do, I'd really appreciate it if you did. Um, but I do have to say, I am absolutely loving doing this show right now. The conversations that I'm getting to have with people uh, are just so enriching. They do reflect a bit on what I'm going through, and I certainly hope that that's a part of everything that you're getting out of this show, that you're also you know, understanding what I'm going through, and that makes us all kind of closer. I hope that you're getting that because I'm loving doing this show right now, and I'm grateful that I get to share these shows with you. Today is no exception. My guest today is elite cyclist Shane Perkins. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, Perko Perkins. So Australian, P-E-R-K-E-O-P-E-R-K-I-N-S, Perko Perkins. Shane is an Olympic Games bronze medalist, a world champion team sprinter, and a former Kieran Track world champion. Shane's story is it's got so many facets. It's one of coming out from under his father's shadow, committing to a goal, striving for what he wanted. It's amazing. But we might not all be track cyclists capable of exploding with an astonishing 2,500 watts of power out of your legs. That's that's a lot. That'll run your hair dryer, all right? That's a lot of power. We might not all be that person, but we all have something that we want to get done. And Shane's story is so great because for him, those few seconds of experiencing the thing that he wanted to get done, those few seconds of standing on the podium while the anthem plays, that's not what he's doing this for. He's doing this for the journey. He's doing it for what he'll learn about himself on the way to stepping on that small piece of oblong carpentry that stands on the edge of the track. That to me is the most most inspiring part of Shane's story, that the journey itself is the reward. And I certainly hope that you get to hear that through our conversation. We caught up over Skype. I just want to say thank you for letting me and being cool with me doing more Skype chats. It's really, really helpful for the show. Enjoy this conversation with Shane Perkins. Glad we can talk today, mate. How uh, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, just cruising along. Sort of been a uh, been a little bit of a busy morning, but I'm sure nothing uh, nothing like what you're up to, mate. Traveling <laughs> everywhere. Uh, it's it's all it's all good. I'm I'm very grateful. You know, a couple of years ago, I I, I didn't have a job, and and yeah, yeah. you know, and now I've, I'm I'm still working, which is pretty pretty amazing. You know, certainly yeah. in, in an industry like mine, you know, it's not unlike the you know like yours, where there's for many people there's a use by date. Uh, so I'm I'm really lucky. Um, yeah, yeah. managed to grow and morph and change and kind of keep up with things. But um, I'm just really grateful that we could connect. Uh, how do you know? Um, how do you know Sam? Um, yeah, just sort of. Um, we just actually kind of hooked up through uh, Instagram, yeah. and uh, yeah, just kind of started talking and stuff like that. And um, and yeah, just sort of 
chatting through that. I think he, he was doing up a um, or wanted to do up a painting and stuff of me sort of um, writing and that sort of stuff. So we've been trying to sort of hook that up for years um, and um, yeah, just sort of haven't got around to it. So, yeah, and then he just yeah came up with this idea. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, mate, well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful we can talk today, man. That's uh, yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah, totally. it's really good. So um, where do we uh, where do we find you, man? Um, well, I mean, at the moment, I'm uh, I'm living in in Brisbane, in Australia. But I don't know if, if you kind of know a little bit of the story. Oh yeah, oh I know the story. That's why I was like we're talking over Skype. But I'm just kind of wondering what part of the world you're in. So you are you are in Australia. You are in Brisbane. Yeah, look, I'm in Brizzy, and and this is where we're based with the family, uh, my wife and I, and uh, two young kids. Um, yeah, based in in Brizzy. Um, yeah, before that, we were in yeah Melbourne, Adelaide, Melbourne, Adelaide. And um, which is yeah, the AIS for cycling in Adelaide. So we spent a fair bit of time there, and then uh, yeah, decided that we wanted to get out of there and uh, move to a warmer climate. Yeah, Brisbane is 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 good for that. I um, I'm just really grateful I can speak to you today because so often on on this show, I'm just grateful to speak to people that have, I guess you know, applied like serious focus to their life and and finding out a bit more about how that can permeate to people who may not be a world champion track cyclist and maybe what lessons you might have to help people who are just you know like how do i get my kids to play with their phone less how do i (laughs) you know how do i get ahead of this powerpoint that's you know fucking with me at work you know how you know yeah definitely like because there's there's definitely things that you've learned doing what you've done um or what you do that that can help other people but i would i would like to uh you know kind of paint the picture a bit um in that you actually while you are a, a world champion cyclist and an olympic medalist cyclist in your own right you actually do come from uh, cycling royalty don't you oh yeah somewhat yeah i guess you, you could say that yeah i've ne- never <laughs> quite put like that but um yeah look my dad uh yeah he represented australia um you know at the 1964 olympics in tokyo and um, won a bronze medal at the commonwealth games in uh, jamaica um and yeah look dad's you know been in the sport for a long time and i mean even his father before him my grandfather he played um VFL for the Richmond uh, Richmond Tigers, um, so our family is totally mad uh, Richmond supporters, and obviously we're pretty happy last year. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, look, it's I guess you could say sporting uh, sports in the family, and um, yeah, look, obviously grew up um, around cycling, and, and it's kind of funny because when I was younger, I um, never really had you know, an eye for, for cycling in terms of, geez, you know, I really want to go out and do that. And, you know, I was always kind of just like, nah, I'm going to go play footy. And I was playing basketball and doing all the other sports. And then, um, yeah, sort of one day when I was about 12 or 13, I just started going out for rides with dad and on the weekends. And, yeah, then after about a month or so, so pretty quickly, I, I was like, yeah, I want to have a go on the velodrome. I want to get on the track. And, we, um, my dad actually built bike frames, so that was one thing. He used to build his own frames, steel bikes, and uh, has been doing it for a very long time. And um, we actually, you know, I was sort of thinking, oh, okay, if I start on the track, he's going to build me a bike. No, 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 he was, he was borrowing a bike, so smart man because, yeah, he never, he never knew, obviously, if I was going to keep going with it or not. But, um, yeah, we borrowed a bike from the local club, and 
after about two months of uh, doing a bit of that, I, I went to the Vicky titles and won a few medals and then got a chance to go to the Australian titles in, in Sydney oh, on the oh, Olympic Velodrome there. Let's, and, just, let's yeah. just pump, pump, pump the brakes just a little bit like with because <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's many you know people listening who might have had some sort of, I don't know, glorious past in their life, whether it be, you know, I was a great dancer, I was around on stage, I played football, I played netball, I played soccer, and they'd be you know, desperate to get their kids into it. Was there yeah. anything... Ever was that ever from your dad when you were young? Um, look, my dad, um, like, sort of a little bit of story about to explain dad. Like he, um, yeah, he worked he worked his ass off to 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 get you know where he was in cycling and obviously in football and stuff like that. Pretty hard sort of lifestyle. And honestly, too, there was quite a lot of pressure from um, his father um, because his father was a well known figure. Um, in Victoria for obviously playing footy. Um, so there was, you know, back in those days, there was a lot of pressure on, on dad with the Perkins name um, to, I guess, live up, keep, you know, keep that expectation alive and live up to that expectation. And, you know, so he battled with that for a lot of his life and still does today, you know, even though he's 75 and he said at his 75th birthday last week. But, um, you know, he still battles with, with that now. And, um, yeah, look, when I was younger, there was certainly a little bit of that pressure coming through. Um, you know, Dad also lived in Germany for about eight years um, as part of his cycling career um, with his, his previous wife and my um, half-brother and half-sister. And, um, yeah, he obviously learned a fair bit over in Germany. He was a pretty regimented guy, but obviously that added to it. So, you know, it was kind of not, – not saying that it was military-esque or any of that sort of stuff, but, look, yeah, he was a hard man – um, hard to impress and um, you know it wasn't the easiest of childhoods for sure like we certainly had our battles and stuff like that but um, you know always when I started cycling you know dad never really pushed me into it um, which was good um, and, I, and I found that actually you know as I've got to know myself as a person more along this journey I found that I am sort of someone that you know I'd rather just kind of um, find somewhat my own way. Like obviously there's a lot of information out there these days and you can learn a lot from that. But, you know, part of that journey or that destiny where you're going is, you know, it's all the bits in the middle. Like you know, when I talk about the Tokyo Olympics, yes, of course I want to go there and win a gold medal. But what's going to be far more satis- satisfying is this this part of the journey towards that. They're the things that are, are going to, you know, reward you as a person and, um, build your character and all that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, the other stuff's kind of a bonus, if you will. Um, so when I, yeah, when I kind of first started riding, obviously dad deep down was was quite excited and he did start to push me a little bit and um, that's when we kind of, you know, talked about things and I was like, I don't want to be coached by you, man. I can't do this. There's no way. It won't work. And um, he got a, a really close friend of his to um, take me under his wing who was a coach at the time, Hilton Clark, and, yeah, worked with Hilts um, from the beginning and absolutely loved it. So, um, but yeah, look, there, there was certainly a lot of pressure, you know, with the surname Perkins because everyone knew it in cycling. All eyes were on me to see if I was going to be good at the sport or not and where could I go and, and things like that. So, you know, I struggled with that for, for quite a long time, um, actually. And, you know, it's it's like, I could never sort of get out of my, my father's shadow, if you will. But it wasn't um, your, uh, Shane. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't your surname pushing you down the track, though, mate. No, nah, that's it. Yeah. No, nah, that's right. So, 
I mean, there must, there must have been something inside you that made you want to do it when you were yeah, like, obviously that you, you mentioned that you just went out for a, a ride with your dad, and then within within three months you were winning medals, which is pretty yeah. extraordinary when you're a teenager. I mean, that's that's quite the hey, I'm good at this, I'm going to keep going. People, this is working out. This is a positive outcome for my effort. Like that's a pretty good start. That's pretty ace. Um, it is, yeah, yeah. I think um, you know now when I think back on it more. I think what really attracted me to it was, um, you know, I played a lot of team sports and not that I didn't like team sports. I loved team sports. Um, you know, I kind of wish, you know, almost that there was more team sports in, in track cycling, but it's not. It's very individualized. And that's something actually I've struggled with a lot. Um, you know, selfishness, I'll say, does not come naturally to me. Um, and to be successful, you have to have some semblance of selfishness to, to be able to push through and you know have that competitiveness um, going forward but yeah look when I started it, the thing that I did love was that it was just me you know it was just me on the bike there was no one else you know it wasn't um, you know again with basketball you had had team players and not that I didn't want to be part of a team but it just you know I was always you know when my teammates were hurting I was hurting so I was very much in it Whereas when I was in an individual sport riding my bike, it was just me. Like at the end of the day, if I didn't do well, I didn't do my training, it just came back to me. Um, and I think it's, it's somewhat isolated um, as well when you're doing it as an, as an individual. But I, I think I really liked um, the focus that it gave me, you know, outside of my school life and outside of my life with mum and dad and all that sort of stuff that I could kind of escape things. Um, and you know, when you're on a velodrome, you can't hear anything. You can't really hear what people are saying over the fence or, you know, I have this, this funny memory when I was playing basketball, dad's, he's hopeless at, at sporting events. Like he can't go and watch Richmond play football cause he just yells and he's crazy, like totally crazy, gets kicked out and stuff like that. And at a basketball game, he was yelling so much that they ejected him from the stadium and, <laughs> Painting a pretty good picture about my old man. He's he's a top bloke though, but he's just so passionate and um, you know wears his heart on his sleeve. But yeah, with with the cycling, that's you know essentially I got to escape essentially from that and from mum and dad. And you know, you look at that as a negative or a positive, but you know, young kid, I think that that's a positive. Something that you you see, oh wow, you know, I, I can sort of get so much enjoyment out of this and leave a lot of energy out there and see progression and and. And stuff like that coming along and, you know, learn from some older riders that I was with and, you know, I was sort of very fortunate um, to be part of that. And another cool thing was, you know, getting to travel in a state, you know, that was, you know, making national team, you get to travel in a state and then later on travel internationally. So I just think, um, you know, I know it's kind of cliche where things happen for a reason. Yeah, the, thinking back on all these sorts of things, like, you know, I was – I was a challenging kid, definitely, for my parents. And, um, you know, I was in some pretty rough crowds as well as a kid. And um, I was, you know, at school, I was friends with everyone. You know, I was, I was a very passionate kid and, you know, I didn't believe in bullying and all that sort of stuff. So I was always someone, I'd get in trouble at school, but I was the one standing up for the little guy, so to speak, and getting myself in the fights, um, you know, which, which was stupid. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, if, I'm not just going to stand by here and watch this person be bullied and and hurt and stuff like that. And so, you know, I was in a bit of trouble there at school and, and everything. And cycling essentially, it did. It just kind of, 
somewhat took over my life and kind of set me on this course um, to learn more about myself. And, you know, it's, it did, it gave me that freedom because <laughs> another funny thing when you think about it now is when I started cycling, I became pretty good at it um, in the beginning was, you know, I got to have half days off from school to go training. So I was like, wow, this is a win. Hell yeah, I'm out of here, you know. And, um, you know, again, you know, we've got two kids and stuff like that. So some some people might say like, oh, you know, education, that's where it's at. And yeah, okay, you, you know, you certainly can learn a lot from school, but there's this thing outside of it called life that, you know, sometimes a good kick up the ass and, you know, not getting what you want can actually teach you much more than a reading a book or, you know, you know, learning you know, your times tables or something like that. Not that it's, <laughs> of course, you need that, but yeah, I guess you know what I'm saying. No, I know, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. I've a, I have a 14 year old stepdaughter, and I see you know, the value that she gets from uh, her time at school, but then the value that she gets from the things she does around school, uh, particularly you know the sports she's involved in, the extracurricular stuff she's involved in, and just see how how rich that makes her life, um, and that it's not all you know. That that the experience of losing a water polo match six nil against a really hard 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 team, that's something that's actually pretty good to learn when you're fourteen rather than when you're twenty and then you're suddenly at work and you miss out on the pitch and you've never lost anything. You know, it's it's, it's <laughs> important. It's important stuff to learn. They're important skills to learn. Yeah, definitely. No, that's right. And that's yeah. I, I feel um, not just because I've done sport myself, but I, I just think there there's so many values in it. Um, you know that you you learn over over time, and you know with my kids, like for example, our daughter, you you play Uno with her, you know she's seven, or you play you know crossword with her or something like that. She just loses it. Like if she if she loses the game, she cracks it and carries on and stuff like that. But it's like this is good. This is this is you know it's it's not a bad thing. It's like yes, you need to learn how to lose. Like it's. You know, if if everyone always won, we would never learn shit. We wouldn't learn anything. You've got to fail and then, you know, that's what builds character and you, you find ways to then overcome that and push through that. You've had, um, you've had an incredible career as far as winning goes. You've stood on the podium many, many times, particularly in Kieran, which is one of the most intense kind of sports I've seen. Uh, there's motorcycles. <laughs> it's like rollerball. It's full yeah. on. But, you know, the amount of power and energy that you have to put out when you're in that bicycling race, I'll explain it at the start of the show so people don't know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah. you've, you've podiumed many, many, many times. But what do you learn when you don't podium? What do you learn when you DNF? Um, I definitely learn a lot more. Um, you know, when you, when you win, it's, it's very difficult for, you know, it's just human nature. You know, it's difficult to look at something and sort of criticize yourself and say, yeah, look, I could have done that better. I could have done this better. Um, you know, it's also difficult to analyze things when you lose. But, you know, me being me and my personality, I certainly look at a loss. Um, you know, you, you lose way more than you win. So you've got to make those things a positive. So, yeah, you, you certainly start to look at why. What happened? Was it my psychology? You know, and at at this point, you know, racing the Kieran, it is it comes down to to my psychology. Like if I didn't win, well, you know, I fucked up my tactics, or you know, my mind was somewhere else, I wasn't focused enough, and these things still happen. As as experienced as you are, they still happen. You still have to center yourself 
and bring yourself into to what you're doing. Um, but certainly, I've learned way, way more from my losses than I have from my wins. Like, again, it's that, you know, talking about that sort of that journey along the way, obviously, you want to win. But along that kind of journey is where you learn so much and then progress for the next time. You know, the, the, the winning thing is the bonus, essentially. Yeah. When you're a teenage cyclist and you've, you've got a coach, I mean, how, how, do you, how do you work with your coach? I mean, I know, I know how football coaches work because um, we've seen so many of them on television, but when you're a kid, yeah, yeah. like, is it like, go around faster, do it again? Like, is, what, what kind of things does your coach tell you when you're a teenager? Um, look, I, I think I was very lucky to have um, the coach that I did. Like he was a, he had a, a he had an anger problem. I'm not afraid to say that. Like he used to yell and scream at people and whatever. He had a bit of a soft spot for me, so I didn't get so much of yelling and stuff like that at me. But um, he he was you know he was more like a mentor or a father figure, honestly, for me, um, and was to a lot of um, young kids. And I think. You know, kids at that age, it's sort of important for them to have that because there's so many distractions in life, isn't there? Like even, you know, say 15 years or 31 now, okay, 15, 16, 17 years ago, you know, it was start of the mobile phone and all that sort of shit and whatever. So internet was coming in and doing all that stuff and there was still, you know, a lot of distractions even then and, you know, girls, drugs, cars, all that sort of stuff and, um, you know, it wasn't easy, but you can imagine now, like even more so now, there's so many more distractions. So that's where having that that father figure or that mentor, you know, that's essentially to me what a coach um, is. There, there's someone who leads by example as well, and someone that can teach you, not just tell you. Um, and yeah, look, that was that was sort of. A really cool experience for Mike. I learned a lot from him. He, yeah, like I said, he had a bit of an angle problem, so he was, yeah, he was yeller. Um, and we used to do a lot of laps with him on the motorbike, and you know, you'd do a sprint or something at the end, and he'd come beside you on the mountain bike, uh, sorry, mountain bike on the on the motorbike, and obviously yell at you like, yeah, come on up, 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 up. So he was he was pretty verbal, like with that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, that's sort of like, like I said though, you can't really hear much of what's going on so i think yeah. that that's where it definitely becomes you got to be in pretty good sync with yourself uh you know and you learn that pretty early yeah um you sort of just i don't know it's funny with cycling i, I could potentially compare it to running somewhat i guess where you just kind of i don't know you zone out you just go somewhere else and you just let it rip really um yeah the kind of when you speak about uh, I always, I'm always fascinated by people who who compete in Olympic events, particularly the like events like like yours, which are over in a blink. They're so yeah. so quick, and it's it's four, sometimes eight, sometimes twelve years of your life focused on this two minute ninety second, or essentially sometimes in what you're talking, two lap could be twenty thirty seconds of sprinting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that and it's interesting what you said before that it's it's not just about that point in your life that it is about about that journey. How do you how do you stay focused on the value that you're bringing to your life as you move towards that that moment in Tokyo? Yeah, so I, I think 
you know, this might sound strange. I was only just discussing um, this this morning, actually, with uh, Queensland Academy of Sport Coach. So I'm discussing with them at the moment about doing a bit of mentoring with some younger riders here in Queensland, um, just because I want to give back to the sport a little bit more. And we're sort of discussing yeah, that that whole thing. And, and this might sound strange. It may answer your question. It may not. But it's something that you almost cannot force. You have to let it happen because if you, you get on the start line and you see this happen all the time with athletes and, you know, the Commonwealth Games were on recently. You saw it happen with many, many athletes and they get on the start line. They've done all the training. They've done all the stuff that they can do. They're on the start line. They're overthinking everything. Rather than just being there, being in it, and just letting go. That so it's where you just have this state of kind of you know again it sounds cliche, but this state of zen. To me, that's what it you need to try and find every day. Is you know where you know and don't get me wrong. There's days where you have to get yourself out of bed. You know, one foot in front of the other. And, and this is what I always say to people is. It's as simple as that. Like, okay, how do you progress with something? We'll put one fucking foot in front of the other and just start. There's no point sitting there just, you know, looking at all this information and sort of going where, you know, it's just just start. Like, just, you, you'll end up where you need to be, you know, and this is what actually pisses me off a bit about so much. Like, it's great having all this information that we have, but it's it almost just detracts people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...away from just being who they are. Like, just start start moving. Start moving forward and just see where things take you. Because funny enough, you might end up in the place that you really want to be uh, without realizing that you're on that path to, to getting there. Um, the other the other thing about starting moving is like if you don't like where you are, it doesn't matter which direction you go, just take a step because then exactly. at least you're a step away from what you don't like. Yeah, exactly, man. That's exactly right. It's um, you know, and I think it's it sounds you know to me it's just it's as simple as that. You you've you've got to I think yeah, like being aware of your thoughts. This is a massive thing too is, you know, uh, when you get up in the morning, you know, and I think this is portrayed really badly like with movies and TV shows and all that sort of stuff and everyone sees magazines and, you know, it's like um, they have this false view of what life should be like 
<laughs> Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you sort of see how it is on the movies and all this, and then people start to think like, oh, this is how life should actually be. It's like, fuck no. It's like, it's not, you know, it doesn't look that glamorous all the time. You know what I mean? It's it's like you've still got to get your ass out of bed and get moving and and put positive thoughts in your head to, to get done what you need to get done in that day. And, and that's a really important um, thing. You know, I remember... Uh, a close friend of the family has explained to me once that, um, you know, he's not a psychologist or any of that sort of stuff. He actually just did um, motivational talks for uh, businesses, big businesses. The most important thing he said to me was, you know, you have this, there's a circle, you know, and, you know, if you have a negative thought, um, you know, then that translates, it, it all sort of goes around in that circle. So the negative thought translates into something else into your life, into something else, into some other person, then it comes back again. So if it, that's all in a circle, well, you can stop it right there before it even leaves the station and say, thanks for coming, negative thought, fuck off, put a positive one in there and then have a look at that. It's, again, as simple as that. And But that's that's where it's being aware about, about your emotions. And, you know, that... I think a very important lesson for me when I actually started cycling was it definitely made me think more about uh, who I am, who I wanted to be and where I go um, and where I wanted to go. And that that's where I think this, um, you know, understanding that, you know, I need to become more aware of my own feelings and my own thoughts um, each day um, because it affected my, me and but also the people around me as well. Um, and it's it's pretty crazy when you when you do change those thoughts and there's positive emotion and you're giving off this positive vibe. It's amazing the things that actually happen in your life. The people that come into your life from that, you know, it's funny because there's some people that I will meet now, and it's really funny. And I'll just be like, oh, you know, get a bit of a sick stomach, and I just think, why? Like, why have I? That's not to say that that person's a bad person or any of that sort of stuff. It's like, okay, they're obviously they're going through something in their life that's really challenging, you know. And um, not that you you push them people away, but it's like, well, how can you help? How can I help this person? Like, it's you know, and that it's funny because that sort of leads me into another thing is that I'm a firm believer that every person that you meet, you can learn something from them. Doesn't matter who it is. Like, all you got to do is listen, for starters. But every single person that you run into, it doesn't matter whether it's a young kid or old, middle-aged, whatever, um, you can always learn something from them. Um, and that's that's been one of my, I guess, philosophies and things that I've sort of run with. And, you know, I guess that's probably where, you know, what sort of got me to who I am today. And, um, you know, it certainly has, has helped me, uh, helped my family and helped me understand more about myself and others and, and life itself. How much of when you're training, obviously the, the amount of uh, physical training that you do is extraordinarily intense. So you're an elite athlete. That's, that's, a, that's yep. a lot of your day. How much of your day is the mental stuff that you just described and going, okay, hang on a second. How am I feeling today? Uh, how do I feel about that you know, time I just got there? Or how do I feel about this meeting I've just got to do? How much of your, your day is just the kind of self-care, the kind of head work as well? Pretty much... 100% of the day, honestly. No, it's it's no no shit. It's um it's fucking tough, man. Like I, you know, um 
yeah, if it was easy, everyone would do it. But it's, it is, it's so bloody hard. Like that, because the thing is, everyone can train hard. You know, everyone can train hard. Um, but there's got to be a balance there. Um, you know, and, and it's that, that, um, consistency also that, that gets you there. Like, you know, what have I been, been doing this since I was 13? So, you know, 16, 17 years, it's, it's, um, it's quite a long time. Um, and it's funny, it's as you get better and as you progress, it doesn't get any easier, which is fucking annoying because you would think after all these years of doing all this shit that it might just get a little bit easier on the body or, or something like that. But yeah, funny enough, sort of as you do it for longer and as you start to actually understand more about it, it becomes more mentally challenging for sure. Speaking of mental challenges, you had to go through something that would have been exceedingly difficult for anyone, but someone who's preparing for uh, a major international event in, in 2012 while training, you were, you were in an accident, you were hit by a car. Yeah. Um, what, happens, what happens to your mindset? What happens to your head? What do your thoughts do when that happens to you? Yeah, look, I mean, that was, that was pretty brutal. Um, you know, Albert Park um, was just doing a little easy recovery road ride and, um, yeah, got knocked off by a car and, um, it was sort of funny cause yeah, in, in all the adrenaline with everything, like I popped my shoulder out and it went back in and I didn't realize and had some damage to my back and obviously with all the adrenaline and I was feeling sorry for the, mind you, it wasn't my fault. I was feeling sorry for the lady cause she was hysterical in the car and, um, you know, I sort of made sure she was okay. And then I'm like, Oh, you know, I'd be right. And sort of ridden off and gone, Oh, yeah, I'm not doing so well here. But um, yeah, look, definitely there was, again, yeah, you get these negative thoughts and like shit, you know, I've just prepared for ages and it's, it's in my hometown in Melbourne, the World Championships and we've got the Olympics in six months' time coming up as well and yeah, there was a lot going through my head and it was a, it was a really tough time um, for sure. But there, you know, there, things are just, you know, obstacles are put in our way to, to challenge us and um, to make us better. And, you know, at the time, that's exactly how I saw it. It was like, yeah, okay, I'm pretty beat up and everything's, you know, not great and I'm strapping my back, I'm strapping my shoulder. And But, you know, there's some simple things that I realized. It's like, okay, it's happened. So it's happened. I've got to let go of that. And I've got to look at, well, how, what can I do um, to support myself through this to still get the best performance that I can? Um, you know, and that, that, that's not physical. That's not, you know, muscles or any of that sort of stuff. That's all mind. That's all in the brain. That's, you know, chatting to yourself and a um, bit of that self-talk and, again, putting those positive thoughts into your head when a negative one comes in. Um, because it's always so much easier to be negative about something or someone, you know, that's, that's the sad part of human nature. It's always easy for people to, to, to drag someone down and, you know, that tall poppy sort of thing. And, um, but you know, the you know, real people who are sort of looking at things will, will always try and find, um, you just got to look, but I'll always try and find um, the positive sides of things. So that was, that was a massive battle for me. Um, but you know, in saying that up to that point, 
you know, or even that point, that wasn't the biggest battle I'd ever had in my life either. So that was sort of something that was pretty minor, really, when I look at it. Like, yes, okay, it was severe car accident, that sort of stuff, you know, shoulders popped out, which I later had to have surgery on after the Olympics and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of the, the mental, physical challenge, like that, you know, that one was probably an easier one to get through, really. Um, you know, I'd probably been lucky that I'd faced a fair bit of adversity before that because then it helped me get through that, you know, that challenge. Um, yeah, so that was that was yeah, it was kind of a crazy year. How, like, it, it was a, it's a significant it was a significant accident. It was a significant injury, and it happened at a very significant time in your preparation for the the, the World Championships and the Olympics. That is a massive obstacle to play to place in the middle of the road between you and your training plan. I'm sure you've got every hour, every day planned from today to the moment you step on the track at at the at the World Championships. So, what did that obstacle do for the performance that you ended up giving? Yeah, look, I, I honestly, it um, it probably helped because you know I, we talked before about you know sometimes when athletes. Um, get to the start line they've done all their training done all sort of stuff and then they're they're you know you don't worry about the other person beating them they're already beating themselves you know in their mind where they're just overthinking things they're thinking about the end result instead of thinking about the processes to get there um you know it's a very easy thing to do as an athlete like i'm not i'm not having a go or, or any of that sort of stuff it happens to everyone could happen to everyone at any time and i think what that the accident did is was it kind of took my focus off you know results or like obviously i was thinking like shit am i going to be at my best like because i want to win and stuff like that and it kind of just gave me you know i used it as a positive again and changed it into well fuck it i got nothing to lose let's go let's 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 give this a rip and see what see what we can do and um you know the those world titles were you know a moment i'll never forget which is you know we won the team sprint and um, got to carry my son around the track in front of a home crowd, in front of mum and dad and all the family. So it's it's crazy. That that's it's really crazy. And then for the Olympics, you know, that was another thing. It was like you know, once that was sort of, it was like okay, making sure that my body is okay, that we can actually keep going hard in this training and and keep pushing it quite hard. So there there was another obstacle in itself because you know, one thing or where I've always kind of flourished is under those pressure situations. So racing where it comes down to that mental side. I've always loved that side of it. You know, what I've found more challenging is that consistency in the training and keeping your body right and all that sort of stuff leading up to that event. So, you know, that was the you know important thing from those world championships and the car accident was to make sure that my body was right, that we could do the training required um, to put the performance out uh, on the track, yeah, in London. It's so it's so fascinating to hear you actually describe an, an, an actual course of events and, and legitimate, you know, outcomes from, you know, we hear that thing all the time, like there will be challenges along the way and the challenges will make you stronger and the challenges will make your performance better. And don't expect any journey to not have its bumps in the road or its diversions, but those are the things that make it worthwhile. And, and mm. what you've just described is like, it's that in practice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it sounds like something you'd see on an Instagram quote, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. And that's, you know, again, it's this it's this experience thing. Like, if you just let stuff happen and 
go with the flow. It's amazing the kinds of things that you'll learn and pick up along the way. Um, but rather, but it even starts even there. Like rather than have resentment for this this person that uh, for whatever reason she hit you in her car, rather than have resentment yeah. and anger towards her, you're like, oh, you're okay. I'm so sorry. Like the, the your outlook towards that is like it's extraordinary to have that and carry that through your life. I mean, I just got to acknowledge you for that because a lot of other. I mean, I when I get cut off in traffic <laughs> when I'm on my bicycle, I yeah, am yeah. not that. A very, yeah, yeah. very angry version of me comes out and is yeah, yeah. probably very frightening. A yeah. version of me that will ride up to your driver's side window and let you know how I feel about your attention to what's happening on the road. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, don't don't get me wrong. Hey, there's some there's some pretty bad drivers up here, and not just bad. Like, here's the thing, right? I can handle somewhat a bad driver because if they're just not confident driving and they they get a bit you know nervous when they're passing a cyclist or whatever and they're you know you can kind of tell a bad driver from someone who's just been a dickhead you know if someone's just been a dickhead yeah i'll i'll get pretty aggressive because it's just like you know you're being stupid there's not it's not necessary to be that way yeah um and i know you know you probably shouldn't handle aggression with aggression but it's just like fuck like you can't you can't just go around doing that to cyclists like you know it's someone's life there yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Nah, look, I I totally get what you're saying. It's um, yeah. Look, it probably I don't know. It didn't really come. Um, you know, I kind of learned a lot about myself actually through that too because it was like yeah, thinking about because it's funny. A few of my teammates are like, oh, did you did you fucking give her a serve or what? Like she's hit you in the car, and I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, I was just checking that she was okay because she was pretty distraught and like clearly she didn't mean to do it. You know, so it's it's like, you know, again, you're, you're dealing with a, a person that's – you put yourself in their shoes. And this is the other thing I sort of say to a lot of people is just step back for a second. Uh, you know, I'm not perfect either and I have to pull myself up sometimes. But put yourself – when speaking to someone, put yourself in their shoes and try to understand it from their perspective. And that was a good example of that lady. Like she's – I'm just there yelling and screaming at her. It's like she's going to be traumatized not just from hitting someone or potentially killing someone, but she's going to be traumatized because there's this big muscly guy just screaming at her, carrying on, and she's, you know, she's going to have a tough time sort of getting over that. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, there's no reason why you can't be kind in situations like that. But, um, yeah, no, definitely I've lost my temper with a few car drivers before, <laughs> that's for sure, the ones that are being stupid, yeah. Um, we should talk a little bit about Japan because uh, for anyone, yeah. that, anyone that doesn't know, I would, I would love to just – I would love it if you could just describe – could you just describe what um, the Kirin and what Kirin racing is and, and just – I've just got to know what it's like. So firstly, though, could you just describe what the actual event is, please? Yeah, so the Kirin uh, – look, Japanese Kirin is like boxing on bikes. Honestly, that is – the simplest way to put it, the best way to put it, is it's like boxing on track bikes. Um, so the, the Kirin itself is – so the Japanese Kirin and international Kirin are actually slightly different. So there's more numbers in a Japanese Kirin than there is in an international Kirin. So, for example, at the Olympics in London, we had six riders. You all start together in the home straight. 
a derny bike will actually come through, and you're not allowed to pass this derny, so you have eight laps. So that's an actual motorcycle, a, a, motorcycle. Powered, a powered motorcycle, yep. electric or petrol. I don't know how you breathe the petrol. Uh, yep. is, is on the bike. Uh, they're all electric now, so... Oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah, we've got with the time, so it's good. So the electric bike uh, is in front, and why is, why is there a powered bicycle in front, powered motorcycle in front? So that's basically, you know, if you think about like a safety car in F1, where it just kind of, you know, takes everyone up to a certain speed, sits there, makes sure it's all safe, and then just gets the fuck out of the way, and it's like everyone just go hell for leather and race. Um, so that's basically the reason why there it's there. It takes the riders up to 50K an hour, and then two and a half laps to go, it gets out of the way, and then it's just hell for leather. So the, the beautiful thing about the Kieran is that the distance two and a half laps is, you know, I think 625 metres, something like that. So it's, it's at a distance where you can't, like if you just, because a lot of people say, oh, why don't you just go? Just go and like you win. It's like, yeah, if that was possible, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would have figured that out already by now. So it's not that simple. There, there's a lot of tactics involved in it because of the speed that you're being dropped off at 50K an hour, you know, the slipstreaming of riders and stuff like that, and obviously just human physiology. You cannot sprint full gas and maintain that speed for 625 metres. It's not possible. So there's a fair bit of tactical nous going on it because you have riders that can sprint for, say, one and a half laps really well and hold their speed, but then you've got riders that can are really good for half a lap, um, but they need to position themselves right, so then you have this fighting for positions, and this is where the boxing on bikes comes in. Um, in international, Kieran, the rules are quite strict now, so we have to be a little bit careful, but there's still some pretty crazy crashes. So it's very high speed, very close to you know touching, hitting wheels, few headbutts, things like that. In Japan, it's anything goes, basically. You use your head, your elbow, your leg, your, your hip, your back. You know, you swerve up the track, you swerve down. Any kind of blocking method you want to use, you can. So they also have a pacer or someone that gets you up to speed, but theirs isn't electric or uh, petrol. It's just a, a person on a bike that's on a uh, got an earpiece and they just keep a certain pace and then they pull off the track with one and a half laps to go. Um, but also Japanese community is very different in the fact that there's betting involved. So if you think boxing on bikes with horse racing, that's pretty much – that's what you got right and there. It's in, and it's in a stadium? Yeah, so they've got 44 stadiums around Japan. I'm pretty sure they had more, but yeah. It's crazy, man. It's it's pretty, you know, and I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate um, and very grateful that I've, you know, been racing over the last eight years um, and seen a lot of the tracks and a lot of um, the ins and outs of, of Japanese Kieran. It's a pretty crazy, you know, kind of thing like – because of the betting, um, obviously they have to protect um, you know, the integrity of, of the of the sport in itself in terms of the betters to make it fair. So when we actually go into a race, we're in lockdown um, at the venue for four to five days. Um, so no phones, no computers, nothing with Bluetooth, none of that sort of stuff, and we're just cut off from the world for four to five days. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But you live at the stadium. We live at the stadium. We, you know, we train a bit each day there. We race once a day. Uh, we do all the media stuff there. Uh, we eat there, sleep there. Yeah, chill out there. It's um, 
yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But, but what's what's it like on 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 game night? What what's the vibe like in the room? Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like it, it's it's kind of funny because the international riders definitely have a different psyche when it comes to doing the Japanese Kieran because we're used to riding. You know, we're not riding for money or any of that sort of stuff. We're riding to win gold medals. And, you know, when you go to a world championship and Olympics and stuff like that, it's pretty high-pressure stuff, you know. And when you go, like, don't get me wrong, actually, the Japanese camp is pretty high-pressure stuff because just uh, the person that I am, I struggled with the the betting side of things because, you know, I was going out there and you're seeing, you know, people that probably can't afford to be there and they're putting their hard-earned money there. You can see... Uh, who bets on you so in terms of you know um, the odds and everything so you know a lot of time when I'd go out there was a lot of money bet on me so you could see this so I always struggled um, early on with sort of knowing that you know I better I better do well here otherwise someone could lose a house like obviously later on I thought about that and it's like well that's that's kind of gambling in itself and kind of realized that like I'm going to let myself off the hook here a little bit (laughs) but um yeah, it's for for a lot of Japanese Kieran riders. They so to become a Japanese Kieran rider, you have to go to school for twelve months, a Japanese Kieran school. So it's the same as you know, if you or I wanted to become a businessman and or a manager or whatever, we go and get a you know certificate in business or whatever it is at uni. You want to become a Kieran rider, you twelve months at the Japanese Kieran school full time, and then you get your Kieran license and you become become a Kieran rider. So there's about 3,000 registered Kieran riders in Japan. And look, honestly, majority of them, they they obviously love their job because they get to ride a bike and it's fun and all that sort of stuff, but it is just a job to them. So a lot of them that you you know you run into and you meet and stuff like that when you when you go to a race, they're pretty relaxed. Like a lot of them smoke, a lot of them, you know, they have cigars and they they drink most nights and um, again, because it's quite, you know, they're doing it, you know, every second week or, you know, two to three times a month, um, doing their races, collecting their paycheck and, you know, sort of going home kind of thing. But as you get kind of higher up into the higher grade races, that's where it becomes more like what we are used to riding internationally where, yeah, you can cut the pressure, like the pressure gets up there, you cut the tension with a knife there. They're definitely gunning for our scalps because it's like, you know, how dare you foreigners come over here and try and take our money? So from that point of view, it's quite challenging. So um, on one hand, it's really good for Kieran because some of those riders that do just, you know, it becomes monotonous for them. You know, they've been doing it for 15, 20 years and all of a sudden us foreigners rock up to a race. All of a sudden they're like, oh, oh, a challenge. Okay, good. This is different. And then all of a sudden they're going way harder. So they're making the, the racing much harder for us. And, the other thing that's really difficult with, with Japanese Kieran is that you can, and this is a really hard one to kind of get get your mind around, but even though there's betting, you can actually team up with people in the race. So you can say to the media, for example, I'm going to be Sanko, which means I'll be first in the line. And then, you know, Japanese will say, you know, because I'm younger than him, he gets to follow me and he's in the slipstream, so it's an easier ride than another one might follow. So we're in a line of three. 
And basically, I my job then is to sort of try and look after them because if I accelerate too hard, they'll drop off the wheel and then we won't be aligned anymore and, you know, the bettors would have bet that we're going to place one and two. So I need to make sure that they're holding my wheel and that either I win or he gets he wins and I come yeah. second. So then, you know, the bettors um, get their money's worth. But then the rest of the other six riders that are out there because there's nine riders in the Japanese queue and those other six riders – are trying to do every single thing they can to either knock me off my bike or just get in my way. Um, so it's quite challenging, yeah, for sure. And, it, yeah, it's a big mental challenge too because you, you don't feel like you deserve to be there. How long are you over there for when you go? Is it a season? Like how does it, it work? Yeah, so they they're, they're, they run just year in, year out. There's no off-season for them. So they're like 1st of Jan to 31st of December. And um, for us, for the foreigners, we have – so they do it in two-year contracts, um, but we can only go – generally, we can only go from April to, I think, October or November. So it's about six months is the, the maximum amount of time we can go in one year. Yeah. And the minimum we have to go is three months. Yeah, so it's quite a bit of time. But still, yeah, you get to hang out in Japan and, and eat great food yeah. and, and ride. Oh, definitely. It's pretty yeah, fun. yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Oh, look, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. I've, um, you know, it's kind of funny as much as I'm, I'm grateful for all the opportunities I've had within the Australian team and, you know, now within the Russian team. But, um, you know, over the years, it's – I would never have been able to actually keep riding the way that I have without Japan. You know, we, we wouldn't have been able to do this. Like having, um, you know, two young kids and – and, um, you know, living this kind of sport star lifestyle, it's not, you know, especially in this sport, there's not a great deal of money. And, you know, I'm one of very, very, very few riders that have actually had the opportunity to go and race in Japan and make some money, you know, um, because a lot of our funding in Australia, we get through um, uh, like the Australian Sports Commission. Um, but the kind of... Uh, the little hook up there is if you earn over a certain amount, which is not very much, you don't get this funding anymore. So then you have to start funding yourself. So I was sort of in that boat, you know, the first year that I went was 2009 and I was like, oh, great opportunity. Let's go there. Hello and behold, the next year I find out like, oh, no, no, we're not paying you anymore. So, uh, really? Yeah, right. like, I need this money to keep going. Like that was a good opportunity to go there and try and, yeah. you know, save some money in a sport where there's not much money around. Not that it's about money, but if you have the opportunity, why not make the most of it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was – It was without Japan, I, w- I wouldn't have been able to do this for as long as I have. Tell me about um, – because you also, you also do some – you're an ambassador for a couple of charities. Tell me tell me about why you're involved in the charity, say, for example, like Living. Yeah, look, I, I think um, I got in touch with those guys, um, yeah, while I was in Adelaide. And I think, you know, just seeing um, yeah, someone like my father uh, struggling uh, with that and then just even myself, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I've, I've had any known condition when it comes to that or whatever, but, you know, I've definitely we're had... Talk, we're, talking, we're talking mental health. Living's a mental health charity. Sorry, I should have yeah, explained yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, living, yeah, mental health charity. So it's, you know, that sort of thing um you know like we just spoke about before it's it all comes back to the that that mental health doesn't it like it's that changing that negative with a positive and that coming back around and that charity just sat really well with me um you know it's something 
you know, that I'm, I'm quite passionate about, as you can probably tell that, um, you know, I've sort of, I guess, realized in all my experiences that, it, yeah, look, it comes back to you, you know, understanding your thoughts and the fact that you actually have control over those. Um, yeah, that's a very important message is that, yes, you can actually change your thought patterns. Um, you can put positive thoughts in there and take out the negative things. Um, you know, the fact that also, you know, people, you know, we're kind of, we're rushing through life so quickly now, I find, that we're not listening to people, you know, because we're trying to get from A to B to C to D to E. And it's kind of that thing in thought that you're only, you're only as good as your weakest player. Well, that refers to humans as well like and if yeah okay if we bring it down to the island of australia you know we're only as good as our weakest you know human or you know australian so what can we do to try and help those people you know become stronger and become more positive and i guess follow um not necessarily follow but just create their own path to be able to get where they want to go um, yeah, and I think where that's, you know, I've sort of felt that, you know, potentially I can have an impact, even if it helps one person, it's, it's, that's more than enough. Um, so I guess that's the, the kind of connection there for me. Yeah. But you're, mate, you're a, you're, you're a solo operator. You're a, you're a track cyclist. You're, if ever there was a solo sport, you, you are doing one of them. Why, why take time and energy away from that to help a person you may not even know? <laughs> yeah this i mean yeah look it's um it's just me i i think i yeah look i i struggled with like i said to you before you know i struggled with that being selfish and um you know kind of just having all that focus uh on yourself like i just totally struggle with that and i don't i don't agree that it just needs to be that way and i and i don't think that that is a very happy way of living either so yes in a way like it goes go around in this circle and even though you know i feel as though that i want to put more energy into this it it also gives back to me as well it comes around full circle so you know and all i'm giving is a bit of my own time and some positive thoughts and just being me so really it's not that difficult is it like it's um it's very rewarding. I think that's really important, and I think that's where you know my uh, my one of my passions and where I'm sort of heading with after my cycling career is definitely coaching. Um, you know, just because you know I believe a coach is more than someone that just writes a program and does it. Whatever you can have a massive impact on those athletes you have. And one of my philosophies is that you know even though I'm not a coach yet, but I still have them is. You know, when I get an athlete, I want them to be able to leave me as a better person. So I didn't say better athlete. You know, I think if they become a better person, they'll just naturally become a better athlete anyway. And that's my that's my impact on the planet. The, you know, that's I can I can have an influence in that way. You know, okay, it may not be. You know, I'm not saving the world and doing all that sort of stuff, but. You know, this is my, if you want to say, calling or something that I'm passionate about, my reason for being here, you know, that's that's potentially it. And, yeah, look, it's, it's to really just answer your question, 
it was just about just finding what what satisfies satisfies me. What why am I here? You know, what do I want to get out of this life, and what do I want to give to others through it? And that's where that kind of comes in. Yeah, focusing towards uh, the Japan 2020 Olympic Games. Yeah, what do you hope to get out of? And we talked before about that tiny moment of time in the final when you are actually doing the thing that you've trained to do. What do you yes. hope? What do you hope to get out of the journey between now and then? Oh, look, what what I really really do hope is that this inspires as many people as possible to no matter what the circumstances or if someone's telling you that you trust or whatever, telling you that you can't do this anymore or you know you should retire or you should do something else, that you have a choice. And if you really believe that you want to go and do something, you should go and do it because we're not here for a very long time and it's a hard one. But I think if I if I can inspire people that way, and this is this is one of the main reasons I've not spoken a whole lot about this because it's it's a funny one. Like if I not many people are that receptive to I I would say this kind of talk is just real talk. You know, it's not bullshit, it's like, you know, deep down this is what it is, is who I am, you know, not many people respond you know they, they kind of take it as oh geez he's a bit odd it's like understand that respect it but no i just understand myself and in my experiences i realize that there's a lot more um to life than we think um and that's you know part of my reason for continuing was you know i had this opportunity with russia but it wasn't just about like, you know, because a lot of people have said, you know, obviously with the Russians and their doping program and oh, Russians have got money and all this sort of stuff. Everyone's made up their own opinions, which everyone's entitled to. They've said that I've gone to Russia because I want the good drugs and I've gone to Russia because I want money and all this sort of stuff, which is <laughs> I, I don't even know to bother saying it because, you know, I, I don't really give a shit what other people think. They don't, they don't know me. They don't know the reasons behind it. But the main reason is is that I have this opportunity to actually do what I just said and try and inspire some people to go and follow their dreams, do what they want to do. Like I want to go to the Olympics in Tokyo and I'm going to do everything possible, you know, within the field of play to get on the top step of that podium. And, you know, yes, it's got a little bit to do with my father having gone there in 64. It's got a lot to do with me having spent eight years there and have a strong connection with Japan. But it would have been so much easier for me to say, ah, fuck it, no, I'm going to retire and just, yeah, I'll just do what everyone else wants me to do and retire and just walk away. Because this journey has been fucking hard and it's cost me and my family a lot of money, a lot of our savings to actually continue this but, you know, it's not about money. That, that's the thing. If you can move past that, you know, it's like this, you know, in this sort of last year and a half, two years, I've learned, you know, so much more about myself and, um, and what my purpose is for being here and, you know, how I can potentially um, influence others in a positive way. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing for me on the way to Tokyo is trying to provide um, uh, like 
just somewhat of a you know a positive spin on things for people to to try and draw some energy from um you know and i'm not sort of like a i'd rather be one of the real kind of stories like you've got the 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 instagrams and the facebook things that are you know they're they're doing they're saying the quotes and they're doing this and whatever and it's 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 one thing to read a quote and sort of yeah okay you gain a short-term positive emotion from that but how do you actually implement that into your life yeah that's the difficult part that's that's the real challenge um and that's where i just hope that in some way what i'm doing if people realize that it's not going to be fucking easy it's not all just going to be handed to you you want something you got to work for it but if you do those things you'll get so much more out of it um and so much more out of life and potentially give so much more to others. So, sorry about the long answer, but that's couldn't have been more perfect. Much yeah, Shane, it, it couldn't have been more perfect, and I couldn't think of a better way to to, to wrap this up. And, and and thank you so much for your day, man. Thank you so much for sharing the things you've learned over your journey, the things that you've learned, like to be able to impart that to the people that listen to this show. I'm just really grateful, man, and I'm, I'm really excited that we all get to watch the next 18 months, two years of your life, uh, knowing a little bit more about you, man. Thank you so much for your time today. No, definitely, man. You're welcome. Yeah, all right, totally man. welcome. Great Have chat. a cracking time up in Brisbane, bro. <laughs> Will do, man. Thanks very much. All right, man. Great to talk to you today. See you later, man. That's Shane Perkins. You can find him on Twitter at P-E-R-K-O Perko Perkins. Perko Perkins on Twitter. If you like the show, please let him know. Give him a rev up. Listening to that show, I I certainly hope it gives you cause to pay attention to his journey as he preps for the Olympic Games in Tokyo in 2020 and also to enjoy your own journey, to document your journey. So you can look back. You can look back to a week or a month ago, eight weeks ago. See how far you've come. Enjoy the journey. That's the thing that I got out of this day today. Oh, man. Thank you so much for listening. Big thank you to Andy Marr for audio production, Hayley Van Spania for producing the show, Toe Hider, who made all the music today. If you need me through the week, I'm on Instagram every day for a longer chat for anything else you need. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's us for the week, my loves. I'm going downstairs to throw some kettlebells around. Until we talk next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.